0: My name is Nathan Crisp, as you can see on the screen. Hello. Um, Some of you guys know me really well. Some of you guys just know me as the weird guy who sits in the back sometimes and comes in late and doesn't make it very often, but you know, it happens. Um, I'm actually really honored to be here. I've been coming to a Bible study with Brian for over 22 years at this point, and back in the day of meeting in his basement at Christ Lutheran when he was the principal up there, and then... Um, he moved here, and we were meeting in his basement here for a long time, and then we were up there for a long time, and now, you know, things are down here. So if you're ever wondering why you guys haven't been asked to lead this yet, it's you have to get that 22-year mark, and then uh, that's when you get qualified for that, I guess, or something, or at least it is for me. Um, but anyway, I grew up really close to here, actually just like a mile straight that way on the same section I grew up, and my dad used to farm this land, and Um, So being able to come here has actually just always been really meaningful and just how, you know, my family farmed here and the heritage that that had. And then to be able to see it now be this is just something that's always been um, really special to me. Um, I when Brian first actually asked me to speak, I said no initially and I kind of was joking, but I wasn't entirely joking and I told him that no one wanted to hear what I had to say Um, and truth be told I didn't have anything to say and I just kinda thought about it prayed about it a little bit and then something did kinda get put on my heart and if I'm being honest I have absolutely no idea why it got put on my heart I do lots of speaking with my job around at different colleges and places like that and I don't know why but I think this is gonna be the hardest message I've ever given and part of it is because it's very personal to me but part of it, too, is because it's not a finished story yet. Like, I'm still wrestling through a lot of this. And so I apologize in advance if, you know, we get to the end and everybody's like, well, that was, you know, didn't hit home for me or anything. I have no idea how this is going to go. So anyway, just know that I don't have it all figured out. And this is as much a message for me as it is, hopefully, for someone here that it, it uh, connects with. One thing that's interesting about the Bible, and I'm assuming most of you guys probably know this, but just in case you don't, um, I believe with all my heart that the Word of God is absolutely infallible in what it says, and I love getting to read it and dive in there. However, when it was initially written, it was just literally script for a very long time, and it wasn't even really until about 600 years ago that a guy came along and like put in verses and put in chapters and put in... Um, Titles for sections and all of that kind of stuff and his name was actually he was a rabbi named Nathan And so if there's anything that I know about people named Nathan is it's okay to disagree with them And so keep that in mind with everything I say tonight Um, But the reason I say that is because there are actually some times in the Bible that I read And see some different things in that section of it that I'm like Man I wish it was said I wish it was a different title or different heading and even different translations do it different So it's not you know a big deal but Um, There's one very specific example of this that I want to point out before we dive into um, what we're going to get at tonight. And that is something that you guys are all very familiar with, I'm assuming, from Luke chapter 15, which is the parable of the prodigal son. And the thing that I don't like about this is that it's called the parable of the prodigal son, but in reality it's not the or the prodigal son who makes this story special or makes this story unique. And in reality, it's the great father that makes this story worth telling. Um, and so, whenever I read this, whenever I look at it in the Bible, I always tell myself, or I always change my language to say, like, this is the parable of the great father. And so, what's going to happen tonight is I'm going to share three stories, actually, from my life um, that have happened. And the reason I'm going to share these three stories is because, sorry, I just got way out of order from how I wanted to say this, but that's all right. Uh, the th- three stories um, are just times that I have seen just God's extreme faithfulness in my life. And it's, it's times that I think it's really important, even like what Mark was saying with communion and stuff, and just like the faithfulness of God and looking back at the faithfulness of God is just so important Um, however, it's really important to me that as I share these stories that you, that you guys see, like, this is not stories of a prodigal son, but these are stories of a great father. Um, and then in the last little bit, we're going to talk, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this, uh, topic that I call the sin of I, or meaning like me personally. Um, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more and, uh work through that. And that's really the part that I I don't have all figured out. And, you know, we'll get there. Um, But over and over again in the Bible, uh, there are stories, especially starting right away in the beginning, where people experience God in a new way or in a new light or his faithfulness is on display in a new way that they had never seen before. And the people basically come around and say, like, they do something to remember it, whether it be build an altar, set up some stones, change the name of a place. Um, They do something to remember the faithfulness of God. And so these are just a couple really quick examples that I put on, and we don't need to um, look these up, per se, but I did just want to point these out as just some uh, places where this happens. And so in Genesis 22, you guys are all familiar with the story of Abraham, and um, as he's going to sacrifice Isaac, and then God provides a ram for him, and Abraham what I believe for the first time in the Bible basically does this where he says this place is a place of God's faithfulness and God's provision and he he changes the name of that so that he remembers Um, we see that again in Joshua 4 um, when God parts the the Jordan River and then he they have 12 people from each of the 12 tribes pick out a stone and they put it there and and That's actually the place in the Bible where we see the term memorial stones. And again, it's just to remember God's faithfulness. We see it happen again in Exodus 17 um, when Moses was uh, raising his hands and God provided a victory in that moment. Um, And then again, they they make this place to remember God's faithfulness. And then another time that we see that is in Judges 6 when Gideon does it after his victory as well. But in reality, these are four examples, but it happens over and over in the Bible. If you actually read through Exodus, it's one of my favorite things to see in the book of Exodus is how the Israelites will come to this point of needing God and not knowing because like they didn't have a Bible to read at that point. They didn't know who God was fully and God provided something for them and they come away and they come away with all these new names of God because of it as they're learning about God for the first time and so we see names like Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nissi and Jehovah Rapha um, and Jehovah Shalom and all these different things of ways they needed God and they he showed up and he delivered them in that time and then they did something to remember him in that moment and so anyway these are what I, again. These are examples in the Bible, but I'm going to share some examples from my life. And again, I don't even know why I'm doing that per se, other than God laid it on my heart for those to be shared. And I hope that they mean something uh, to you guys. So we'll get into that. I don't have many slides for this first section, so I apologize if you get bored at just looking at me because I don't have stuff to put up there. But we will get more into some of that in the in the second half. So no, yeah, I appreciate that. I think probably like most of us I have been a Christian my entire life but the thing about being a Christian is I think we all have these moments where it come it changes from something that we've done or something that we've said or a prayer that we've prayed or whatever that is to a moment where it just becomes very real and how you experience something differently for the first time and I remember very vividly giving my life to Christ when I on Christmas Eve when I was five but it didn't become real to me until many years later when I was probably like 13, 14, somewhere in that range. I was on a missions trip in Puerto Rico and it, something very distinct happened. And I remember being faced with this choice and coming away and saying, you know, I want to be all in. I want to live my life sold out for God. And so at that moment, some things just really changed. And I remember just a couple weeks after that, I came back here and I was at a place called Mana Resort. And uh, Brian was there actually talking that night, and it wasn't the point of his entire message. However, one thing that he did talk about was Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verse 8, and it's one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible, or sections in the Bible, and it talks about how um, God was Basically saying, like, who are you going to send or whatever? And Isaiah then comes back and says, here I am, God, send me. I'm assuming you guys are pretty familiar with that. And something about that just really struck me that night. Um, And so I remember going back, laying on the floor of this cabin on a mattress and just laying there in this moon. The moonlight was shining in. I remember it very vividly and just feeling this calling on my life to pray that prayer and just basically say, like, here I am, God, like, send me. I have no idea what you are going to do, but I want to be willing to be a servant on this end of it. Um, and let me tell you something about that like in my opinion, like it's a pretty dangerous prayer because if you pray it and you mean it, like he's going to do something amazing um, and so I prayed it that night and very quickly after that, uh, I, I really had a strong um, conviction put on my heart for my school that I was going to. And the school that I was going to was uh, Kennesaw, just up the road. And it was a pretty rough place to be, in my opinion, at that point in time, if I'm being honest about it. There were not many Christians. Being a Christian was not a popular thing. Um, There were a lot of people that were really, really hard on Christians, and they were the popular kids. And like, it was rough. Um, My brother actually transferred out of Kennesaw and went to Adam Central at that time and there was a lot of things that went into it but without question one of the things was is the amount of persecution he was receiving while he was in school and so god put the school on my heart and i started praying for them and started praying for this revival to happen and for people to come to know christ and we uh had a group that was meeting every friday morning it was just a small group of christians there was like eight of us usually and we would meet study the word and then we'd go to school together and so that summer before summer or school had started i really felt led to go to school and so i actually went up to the high school and just like walked around the grounds and prayed and prayed for the school and prayed for the people in it um and that year again i take no credit for it i said this at the beginning this is not the story of a prodigal son this is the story of a great father but God did just absolutely amazing things. Like, I cannot tell you, I've never been a part of something like that before or something like that since, where just like daily it felt like people were coming to know Christ. People were seeing him. People were being, having their lives transformed in one way or another. And we got to a point where we started, like I said, with like eight people. And by the end of that year, there was almost 40 people coming to this Friday morning uh, get-together that we'd had. And that's almost half of the entire high school was coming to uh, this Bible study. And just the people that were there were surprising. The lives that were being transformed was surprising. But like, it was just absolutely um, amazing to see. I remember this would have been like 2001, somewhere in that range when this was all going down. And one time an administrator from the school pulled me in or pulled me aside and said, do you realize that you're going to bring what happened in Columbine to our school? And I said, no, I'm just bringing Jesus, and I can't control what else happens. But I just remember that, and I remember, sorry, I've practiced this a lot of times, and I never cried. There was was actually one point that I did cry, and I was like, no, I got to cut that out. (laughs) So it's not in here. Um, But... Just the things that God did was absolutely amazing. There was one guy in particular who gave his life to Christ that year. And it was actually the guy who persecuted my brother more than anybody else. And to this day, he's a pastor somewhere. And it's just really, really amazing what God did. And I'm just so thankful to be able to have been a part of it. Alright. Need to get past that story. Yeah. So anyway, kind of wrapping that up again, like I really hope, I don't know why God wanted me to share that here. I've never, I don't think shared that story um, before to more than just a person. Uh, but alright. We're going to transition a little bit to another story. Um, which is bad because this story is actually a lot more personal to me, I think. So, but like I said, I practiced this and I haven't cried a single time. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get through it. Um, After I graduated college, uh, I was fortunate enough to graduate college in December of 2009, right at the peak of the recession. And I graduated with a degree in criminal justice. Um, And at that point, no federal jobs were being, or no one was leaving federal jobs, and any federal jobs that were open were being closed, and there was just nothing going on, and so I actually moved out to Denver, and I ended up getting a job at Apple, and it was very different from this world, or this world, it's meaning Nebraska, not only was it different being in the city, but just the environment, the culture, the uh, viewpoints, you name it, everything was different, but i believe that it was a really important season in my life and i learned a lot and i am really thankful for it but getting a job at apple was very strange because it was crazy hard to get in they had almost 500 applicants per open position that they had at that point in time and so even to get a um, interview was hard let alone getting a job but the thing that was strange about it is once you got a job frankly it was very, very easy, and it was very, very easy to keep that job and just live there. And it, it unfortunately led me into this place in life of just extreme complacency. If I was to define that season of my life, at least the beginning of it, that's the word I would use to dis- describe it, is complacency, and that is no more, um, and it was in every area, physically, mentally, emotionally, every, in every way, um, I was really experiencing this complacency. And that very much came to a head one night and I made some terrible, terrible mistakes that I'm not going to get into right now. But a lot of people who have that part, a part like that in their testimony would really describe it as rock bottom. And that's where I was at for me, um, even though some amazing things had already happened and amazing things were to come, like there was this point in the middle of complacency and rock bottom. And I remember driving home, got, getting home and laying in bed and just thinking, just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what, what am I living for? And what am I doing? And why am I in this place of complacency? Why am I making, getting myself to this point of making these kind of mistakes? And just all of this stuff was going on. And, and if you remember before, I was laying in bed when I prayed that prayer down in manna. And I was laying in bed at this moment. It's kind of a theme. It's actually going to be in the next story, too, as a spoiler. But... I was lying in bed and I just just had this really strong conviction come over me that I needed to just like change my life and change my life as drastically as I could possibly think of. And so I don't know why it came to me and I have no idea why it came to me in that moment, but I basically decided at that point that I wanted to become, join the military and become a United States Navy SEAL. And so I need to pause for a second in this story and some clarification to just that and say it's important to me that i note that i did not join the navy i never became a seal i didn't even join the military in any form however it did usher in this really impactful season in my life and so it's important to know like that's what i wanted to do even though i didn't end up doing it so that's a spoiler for the end but we need to jump back to the beginning and so I decided in that moment that I was going to wrap my life around discipline, that I wanted to be disciplined in every way and in every area of my life, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and every way I wanted to be disciplined. And so I remember getting on my phone and like looking up, like what does it take to be a Navy SEAL? And I found this like list of requirements and I was like, all right, that's pretty daunting. I was in terrible shape at that point. I was like 350 pounds and, um, I was like, okay, you know, I know where I need to go, but I don't exactly know where I am. And so the next morning I woke up, went outside, went for this little jog. Keep in mind I'm in Denver and like 300 pounds, 350 pounds. Things were not going well, so I like just about died after about 100 yards. And there was no, I tried to do some push-ups. There was no way, no sit-ups, absolutely no pull-ups. And but strangely I'd always been a really good swimmer, so I had that going for me at least one thing. Um, and so I, I, was really at this point in this crossroads where I was like, all right, I know where I'm at now and I know where I need to get. And there's only one thing left and that's to, that's to go. And I remember very distinctly praying in that moment that it's like, God, I'm not asking you for, um, discipline. I'm not asking you for motivation. I'm not asking you for any of those things. All I'm asking is that if this is the path you want beyond that, you'll keep me healthy and you'll see me through in that regard. And so I started working out and I started working out crazy crazy hard and the weight that I had just started coming off unbelievably fast to the point that I decided I was going to work out every day for 100 straight days and in that 100 first days I lost 80 pounds and then after that though I just kept going and for the entire year, I got to a point where I'd go and run and I might run anywhere from like five to 20 miles on a given day, go work out, do like body weight exercises for another two hours and then swim for like another two hours after that. And then that was usually all done by about 11 a.m. And then I'd go to work at Apple for eight hours, go to home, go to bed and get up and do it all over again. And I loved it. Like if I'm being absolutely honest, if I could look back at any point in my life, that is the time that I felt most alive. That is the time that I felt more connected to God than I have ever felt at any other point and I absolutely loved what I was doing. Um, after about a year, I had lost a, about 150 pounds, so I was down to about 200 or just a little bit under 200 pounds and I went in and talked to a Navy recruiter for the first time and told him who I was and what I was doing and what I, where I wanted to go. and um, I, they did some little tests and stuff. It could tell that I was pretty legit and um, capable of doing those things. And so they, I ended up signing this, uh, it's called the Delayed Entry Program. So I got into the Delayed Entry Program intending to take part in what they call the SEAL Challenge which is basically just this challenge where they take a whole bunch of people who are all aspiring special forces or Navy SEALs and they compete them against each other and the best of of those people get set to SEAL training. And it's still a very long road because even at SEAL training, something like 75% of the people drop out of it. But this is just basically a ticket to get in the door to go to SEAL training. And so I got into what they call the SEAL challenge as part of the delayed entry. Um, And as a part of that, they asked me if I wanted a mentor, and I was like, yeah, sure, why not? At any given point, there's something like 1,000 Navy SEALs who are active in the United States. And so there are quite a few retired, and, um, retired SEALs around. However, the SEALs is not exactly a community that just brings in Christians. And so the fact that they gave me what I would call a random, in reality it had to have been God's grace, mentor, who was a crazy strong believer at that point in my life was absolutely amazing. And so he and I started working out. He, and it was basically just his job to get me as ready as I could be. We started doing Bible studies even together, though, because of that shared faith on top of our workouts and all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was really amazing. At that same point, I was then started, I was able to start going to the Armed Forces Training Facility that they have in Denver, and doing workouts with other guys who were all in the same program as i was so there were about 40 of us any given week who would go there and we'd actually go three times a week and there was a whole bunch of retired special forces guys there who loved just absolutely torturing us and putting us through the most brutal workouts you could ever imagine and it was just like three hours of pain and three hours of punishment And we'd all go home and come back and do it again a couple days later just because for some reason we loved it but it was really kind of crazy and so i actually there was one specific workout that they called the master chief motto workout that they would put us through and i brought it and so this is what we would do and this is usually just the first half of the three hours or so um i don't know why in the military but they don't just count things ever when you're doing workouts they like count count them in twos, or fours, or eights, or whatever. So we would start at the top and just work our way through this. And it doesn't get too hard, I think, until number 26. Yeah, 26. When you're faced with doing 200 four-counted flutter flutter kicks, which if you don't four-count it, that means you're doing 800 flutter kicks for doing that math. You have to multiply the number on the right by the number on the left. And that's how many you actually do in each of these. I'm like, poor jumping jacks doesn't sound that bad. No, jumping jacks? No, no, no. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So if you add this all up, it's a little bit over 3,000 total somethings by the end of it. Um, but yeah, so it was pretty rough. But anyway, this is just an example that I found on my computer when I was digging through some of my old memories that I had. And so yeah, that was a good time. But anyway. What are good morning gardens? Not as good as they sound. No, not not as good as they sound. i would, I was actually go- going through some of these and remembering, and I was trying to even come up with like the the different steps. It's almost some of them are really like this weird. I don't know if a dance is a way to describe it where like. You, you have to, like, count your steps in each way and, like, you, like, jump this way, jump that way, bring your legs in, bring your legs out, jump up, jump down, like, I don't know. It's weird. But anyway, if you ever want to do this, I will gladly give you guys this list and you can Google or get on YouTube and see what all of these look like and you guys can do your... <laughs> you can see uh, what these are like. So, anyway, no, I am not in shape to do any of these at this point in time if we're being honest about it, but... Um, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that up there for uh, some midpoint entertainment, but there was one day in particular that I think the, all the instructors who were there decided that they must have hated me or they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm not sure what it was, but there was one day in particular that I'm going to talk about that happened, and there was roughly 40 of us, like I said, who were all working out there together. And on this specific day, there were eight new people. And they wanted to warm us up that day by doing this thing that they called Viking boat crews. And they're not fun. Think of it kind of like if you've ever watched rowing in the Olympics, how there's a whole bunch of people sitting in a long, skinny boat. And then they're all facing one way, but rowing the other way in a line. That's exactly what a Viking boat crew is, except for you don't have a boat. You're just in the water. All of you guys are in a line so if there was a guy in front of me i would kind of wrap my legs around him and then that guy would wrap his legs around the next guy behind him and we'd all kind of just form up in a big chain and we'd get in a pool and we'd do this while we were in a pool and then we would just like row backwards in order to move ourselves down the pool and the reason that it's hard is because you might do this so you take a row and you like go to like get a breath and you can't because you're underwater, so you do it again, and you still don't have a breath, you do it again, and you still don't have a breath, so you get to this point where it's like, okay, am I just going to take another big row and hope for a different result, or do I use my legs and push down on the guy behind me to try and force my head up under, above water? But the thing that's hard about that is you have no idea where that guy's at in the same process and mindset you are in, And so you push down on him when he was planning on pushing down on the next guy and all this stuff. And then it just turns into a disaster. So in order to get through this, the way that we would do it is we would take the second strongest person and put him in the front. And the reason we would do that is because that person kind of sets the tone and sets the pace for this. And so you know that that guy's never going to push down on the guy behind him. And you just have to hope that that guy never does that. And if you can all cooperate, you could be done in this in like five minutes. But... You take the absolute strongest guy you have, and you put him in the back. And the reason you do that is because that person never, ever, ever has anybody they could push on to get abreast. So they just get drowned the entire time. So, don't be the, strongest guy. Don't, don't be the guy in the back. Um, there was me and this guy named Tommy. We were typically thought of as, like, the strongest in the class. And so, we're in this, uh, they take the all eight new guys, put them with me and Tommy, and tell us we're doing a Viking boat cruise. So we explain to them what it looks like, and... Tommy gets in the front, I get in the back, not where you want to be, but it happens. So we start going and it's not going well. So we try for like a minute, it breaks because people are drowning. We get out, do it again, like get back in position, try it again. It's not going well. Meanwhile, there's four or five other boat crews in the same pool that we're in. And they're just cruising back and forth because they've all done this a bunch of times. And they... Uh, they end up being done, and me and Tommy and our crew have not even got this boat like one time down the pool yet. And so we're trying. We like rearrange things. After about a half hour, I was just like, I can't be in the back any longer. So Tommy and I switch, and we try different things. We simulate what this looks like on the ground for them, and they still can't get it figured out. We get in the water. It just breaks up every time. We end up trying this for a little over three hours, and it was just miserable. It was a miserable three hours. And by the end of this, not only are all the other boat crews totally done, but they've all done all these other workouts and they're gone and they're going home. And so these instructors come over to us and they yell at us and we get out of the water. And at this point in time, I think I heard actually the worst thing that's ever been said to me in my entire life. And that was that... One, we were kind of like, you know, sorry, excuses for humans. And you can imagine what instructors at military facilities like to say to their people. So there's a lot of that. But then they said, you guys all have two options. You can either walk out that door and never come back again. Basically, meaning like all of us were very highly motivated, very fit people who were working out for this for a long time. So we can either walk out that door, give up on our opportunity and our dreams of seeing this through and literally never come back again, like just be done. Or, we could stay there and do 10,000 air squats. And I remember when he said that, each, so yeah, we each do 10,000. And I was standing there, and I was thinking through this in my head, like one, wrapping my mind around the fact if I thought this was even humanly possible, and two... How long would it possibly take to do 10,000 air squats? And meanwhile, I look over and Tommy's already going. So like I start, you know, doing squats and we're all standing there doing these squats and we get probably three or four hundred in and it's kind of like telling of how this is going to go. So two of the guys at that point quit and they walk out the door. And again, they walk out to never come back. And it was probably after about another thousand that two more guys quit and leave. And another couple guys hung with us probably to about three or 4,000. And the thing that was very lucky at that point in time is those guys felt bad enough for me and Tommy knowing that we had been there much longer, <coughs> went and actually got food and Gatorade and all this stuff for us and brought it all back and for us. And we're, Tommy and I just stay there doing these squats. We were working on doing about 10 per minute. That was our goal, 10 per minute, stop, shake it out a little bit. And then go again. Ten, shake it out. And if you do the math on that, that means we're going to be doing this for a little bit over 17 hours straight. And so, and again, this is after three hours of getting drowned in the pool too. So like things are not good. But anyway, so Tommy and I stay there and we work through it. And we were actually still there when all the instructors came back the next day for the next class that was coming in, and we were still there doing these squats. And Tommy and I walked out, and I, I just after we got to ten <laughs> well, <laughs> thousand. So that's actually where I'm kind of going with this story, which is crazy. But we walk out. Tommy's hobbling a little bit more than I was, and I told him I was like, "Dude, I'm going home. I'm icing and I'm and sh- sh- I'm going to bed because we've been up for at that point for like thirty hours too." And so. And Tommy's like, no, dude, I'm going to the hospital. And so he did. He left, and he went to the hospital. I went home. I iced. I stretched. Went to bed. And when I woke up, I remember texting Tommy, and he just sent me this picture of him in a hospital bed. And I was like, I kind of thought he was joking, but he was not joking. He had a serious, serious condition, which it's typically just called rhabdo, which is basically when your muscles just like deteriorate and break down, and all this protein goes into your bloodstream. And... It it's, can be very life-threatening. And so he was in the hospital. Tommy ended up being in the hospital for a little over a week from that condition. Meanwhile, I went home and I stretched, laced, went to bed, woke up the next day, took the next day off, figured I deserved it. And then by all accounts, though, like I was fine. And I went back to the, the facility the next day and did another one of these workouts. Um, and, and I can't explain why I was fine other than the fact that God was just there and God was faithful to me. And again, and I followed in his steps in that or I was following the path he had for me and he was keeping me healthy when by all accounts, I should not have been. And so anyway, that's a it's a very long story and there's a whole lot more I could say on that. And if you guys wanna hear the rest of it, I'll tell you afterwards. But all this to say, like I said, I did not join the military. I ended up not doing it. I didn't ever, I did actually do the SEAL Challenge. Um, but I never actually enlisted it, but why is a different, very long story, so I'm just scrolling through all my notes to really just make sure I hit all that, but I think I did. All right, so last story I'm going to tell, and then we're going to jump into some Bible verses and uh, um, actually work through a little bit of that, again, that Cinevice stuff. Um, I ended up working for Apple for almost 11 years, and I, it was a really good season in life. Like I, I did all this stuff with wanting to be a seal, went through that. Um, there was a lot that happened, but it was just a really good season in life. However, I th- remember just feeling very strongly that that season was coming to an end and I didn't know what else was going on, but I wanted, I felt like it was coming to an end and that I was supposed to move back here to Nebraska. Um, and it was kind of a scary thing because this was in 2021. So we were right at the end of COVID. And the concept of leaving this job, which was by all accounts, like a crazy stable, maybe the most stable job that existed at that point in time, working for a company like Apple during this post-pandemic stuff was just, a, and the thought of leaving that and coming back here to an unknown was just really hard and scary. But again, I, I just felt very strongly that i was supposed to come back and even to a point that i felt pretty strongly that i was supposed to go and work at a place called uh covenant cedars which was i volunteered there a lot when i was in high school and college so i went on their website and i looked and they had one job opening and i was like oh perfect that was convenient and i looked and it was for uh executive director of the camp it's, a pretty big one. it's kind of a big position yeah. um And so I remember just praying about it. And I was like, God, like, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know why you put that on my heart, but I'll apply for it. And I applied. And I told them at the time when they called me about getting my application, I was like, yeah, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind. I'm the least qualified person who's going to apply for this. Um, However, I told them, too, that I don't know why it was on my heart, but God put it there. And I wanted to be faithful to walk through the door if he was going to open it. And so I applied, didn't get the job. But I remember just knowing, like, I still had that resolve, So without having any idea what was next, I quit my job at Apple, moved back here in Nebraska, moved into my parents' basement. Logan helped me carry in all my stuff into my parents' basement. And moved in, and there I was. And uh, I was helping my parents with some random projects and stuff like that. And probably two days later, three days later or so, one morning I'm laying in bed, like I told you, I was, this kinda to come back. Always happens when I'm laying in bed, good things, I guess, something, anyway. Uh, and I was laying in bed and I get a phone call and I answer my phone and it was Covenant Cedars and the the new executive director and he basically says like, Hey, we just had two guys quit and we need to fill one of the positions ASAP. And we know you were interested in the, the executive position. Would you be curious to interview for one of these other ones? And I was like, yeah, sure. I guess. And he's like, okay, uh, when would you be able to make it back for colorado to do an interview and i was like well i'm not in colorado and i can be there in two hours so i got in my car took a shower jumped in my car drove over there had an interview they offered me the job on the spot and now that's still where i'm working to this day so i'm the director of ministries is officially my title at covenant cedars and it's an amazing job but again it just speaks to me of that faithfulness of god that i didn't know why i was taking this step taking this step, quitting this job, moving back, all these things. But just like that faithfulness God showed to me. And so, again, I said this at the very beginning, and I'm going to reiterate it now. And that is that these are not stories, again, of a prodigal son. Like, these are stories of a great father. And I hope you guys see that. And again, over and over in the Bible, I showed you, we looked at some verses before where they did that as well. And I think it's important that all of us in our own lives... Take that time to reflect. Take that time to look back and see when God was faithful. See when he provided in just ways. And there's no doubt in my mind that in some way, all of us have had those moments. And I really encourage you guys to, whether it be to write them down, carve them on wood. Next time you're pouring concrete, write it in concrete. I don't know what it is, but just something to remember God's faithfulness in your life. Um, And again, that's all I have to say, I don't have some bigger theme coming away from those stories than that, other than I just really felt like God wanted me to share those. I don't know why those three stories from my life, but I just hope they, I guess they mean something to at least someone here. And, uh, yeah, God's faithfulness is an amazing thing when we give him opportunity to be faithful. Um, Sorry, I'm going to do a really big transition now to something totally different. So I just want to make sure I said everything I needed to say before I do that. All right, I think I did. Okay, now I'm going to do my best to uh, convict at least one person before I leave, and it might be myself, who knows. But we're going to talk a little bit. I said at the beginning that uh, there's this kind of thing that I think about in life in this uh, concept that I've been working on a lot lately, or wrestling with, and that's just what I have called the sin of I. Um, And I think, unfortunately, this is as real and as part of me as these stories that I already shared. Um, And I wish it wasn't, but at the same time, I know God is doing some uh, work in my life, and... So again, I don't have all of the answers to this stuff. This is stuff I'm still very much just walking through. Um, but I feel that I'm supposed to share some of this, and so we're going to look at at uh, some of this together. And I think this is something that all of us as Christians need to wrestle with and really, um, really work through. And just it's a process of refinement, a process of becoming uh, more Christ-like. But I I do believe this sin comes in a lot of different forms. But we're going to talk about two kind of specific ways tonight. And the first one is pride. And we're going to look at some different Bible verses with this. And so if you guys have your Bibles, feel free to um, look these up with us. However, if you don't, I do have them all up here on the screen for you. But the first one is Proverbs 8, verse 13. Verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. If you guys weren't here or didn't look up the podcast, probably, I don't know, a month ago, two months ago, Logan talked about the fear of the Lord. and It was a really good study. And I, there were some things about it that I really took away. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that. But um, the fear of the Lord is, is a really important thing. When I was reading through this, verse, the thing that kind of uh, caught my eye or I I thought about is that, that concept of hating pride and arrogance and what does it mean to actually hate those. And one of the stories that came to my mind was the story of Joseph and how when he was put in this compromising position, he literally ran from it and ran away from that because of what it meant and what it was and all of these things. And this is a little bit different, but it was just something that came to my mind is that concept of if I truly hate these, what is my response as a Christian going to be to it? And that, that uh, concept of Joseph running from it was the thing that kind of came to my mind. Um, let's look at another verse. We're going to stay in Proverbs though. Jump over to Proverbs chapter 11, verse two. When pride comes, then comes Disgrace but with the humble is wisdom. I think that humility and wisdom is kind of like a chicken and the egg type question. However, I do think it's possible to be humble without being wise. However, I don't believe it's possible to be wise without being humble. And here in this verse, they do talk about that um, coming hand in hand, that pride is something, again, uh, that brings us disgrace, but kind of the other side of that being humble is uh, wisdom. Proverbs 13:10. The guy Solomon was talked about for his wisdom, and he wrote a lot about pride. I didn't even put in a quarter of the verses as this uh, appears in Proverbs, but it's in there a lot, and so it must be important. But through pride and presumption come nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who welcome counsel. When I read this verse, last time I thought about Joseph, this time I thought about Mark Twain. I don't know if Mark Twain has ever been quoted here at Bible Study, but I figured, why not? So here's a, here's a funny quote by Mark Twain. But when I was a boy of 14, my father was ignorant. I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much, how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> But I think, and the reason I put that up is that, going back to this verse, is just that, that concept of counsel. And I think counsel can come in a lot of different ways. However, certainly from our parents, it can be there. But just in general, I think that concept of not just welcoming counsel, but seeking out counsel and seeking out um, those people who are going to help us sharp become sharpened and, um, again, kind of get away from pride uh, Yeah, pride and presumption is what it talks about in this verse. All right, just a couple more, and then we're going to transition a little bit and talk about something a little bit different, but we're going to read through just a couple more verses. Mm -hmm. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to a measure of faith that God has assigned I think one really important takeaway that from this verse is that it, it kind of, there's a, f- when we're walking the line between like pride and humility and kind of figuring out what, where we're going to be. I'm trying to think how to say that. No, that's not coming out very well, but that's all right. Um, that this verse really clarifies something that I think is important, and that is, where it says not to think of himself more highly than he ought. It doesn't, isn't saying like, don't think nothing of yourself, but it's just saying don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Um, There's kind of a, a famous quote that has some different people claiming responsibility for it. But humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I think that that's a really good, Kind of, that had to, in my opinion, had to have come from this verse where it's, again, not saying uh, don't think less of yourself, but just thinking of yourself less and just thinking of yourself um, more highly than you ought. It's attributed to C.S. Lewis, but according to his website, they say it's not him. Right. So, I don't know. Someone said C. it. C.S. Lewis has a website? Well, uh, had man. a website. Sorry. But we're actually, I have a uh, three things or two things on here later that c.s lewis did say so we're going to get to c.s lewis um all right two more verses on this for the lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty against all that that is lifted up and it shall be brought low we're going to move to this other verse then we'll talk about just a few things humble yourself And this is James 14.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. I think in life we all have these choices that we make and I think, I hope that we can all agree, but it is much better to be on the low end now and lifted up later than it is to be lifted up or exalted now and later be brought low. And as this verse kind of says in Isaiah that, there's a day that the Lord has for the proud and, and again, this is something that I have struggled with in life, but I don't know about you guys but hearing that said in that way that there's, uh, Lord of hosts has a day against those who are, ha- against all that is proud and lofty does not sound to me like something I want to be on the, on the receiving end of that and you're so, not, you're not part of <laughs> no, I did actually think of that when I put this up. I meant to say that that this is not the pride that we're thinking of in today's culture. This is this.
1: Yeah, that's is true.
0: Wanting to pride month, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we're actually there's going to be a verse here in just a second that we're going to look at, or a couple things that talk about all of the different things that do come from pride and do come from. Um, some of these different things, but we're going to look at just a few more verses, and we're probably even going to wrap up early. I somehow cut some of the stories I was telling before, I think a little bit short, but a couple more verses and we're going to look a little bit about selfishness. And again, this comes back, this is why I call it the sin of eyes, because there's not just one form of it. Um, there's a lot of different things that come into, uh, into that sin realm, and pride and selfishness I think are just two of them. Mark eight thirty four. 34 um, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me i thought a lot about this verse and just reflected a lot on it and thought about a lot of what it meant to like carry your cross and it says this and i feel like in my life I've heard a lot of different teaching on this and heard, you know, people talk about carrying your burden and like the symbolic um, annoyance that it is and carrying these things. But I really started reflecting on it and we'll get into this more here in just a second. But in my opinion, when Jesus said this, like he literally meant carry your cross like you are headed towards a humiliating death, not just a death or an execution, but an absolutely humiliating execution. And and again, this is of your old self, not your new self, but it's your old self of stuff like pride, like selfishness, like all of this stuff. And it's not just about carrying burdens. It's literally of saying we're, we are executing our old selves. Like who we were is getting a humiliating execution. And that's what it means to carry a cross. And I thought it was really interesting just to kind of, change my thinking on this from saying like you know it's a burden it's something that we all have to wrestle with it's all these things and it's like no like this is your old self going to execution is what he's talking about here dying to self is completely surrendering to God is something that I read that I thought was a really good um, really good uh, way to think about that too we've I think all of you guys have probably heard the phrase, which is, um, you cannot worry and worship at the same time. However, when I was thinking of this verse, it really struck me that I was like, you know, you really cannot be proud and selfish and carry your cross at the same time either. And it's just this really good reminder, I think, for us and why Jesus was saying it here about what it means to carry your cross. And again, taking your old self to that execution that it uh, that it deserves for a new birth in Christ. Um, where I'm going to read this quote and it's kind of long and I'll be honest I have read this probably 30 times in the last couple of days because I struggled to get through it it's just Diedrich Bonhoeffer was someone who had some really great words but he spoke in just a way that doesn't quite make sense in my mind so bear with me as I stumble through this but um, he said the cross is laid on every Christian the first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon The attachments of this world, it is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ." When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I think that that is a really great um, concept of just what it means to carry your cross. Better than I could have ever said it by a mile. So, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, a couple more verses. Um, two to be exact. And then we're going to be wrapping up. Um, James 3.16. For where jealousy and strife... Ambition exists, there will be disorder in every other vile practice. This verse was truly convicting to me when I first read it in this context. And the reason it was convicting was thinking of the very end of it, where it says every vile practice. And it it made me wonder, what sin have I committed out of the realm of selfishness? So it's really selfishness at its core, but other things then happen as a result of it. And not to say that I have done all these things, not to say I haven't, but um, I started thinking about even things like murder and adultery and like all of these sins that we're all familiar with. And I was like, man, it is really true that selfishness is really at the core of all of that stuff. Um, And so, yeah, this, hit I think hit it right on the the nail, right on the head when it says every other vile practice um, comes from that. All right, I told you we were going to get to C.S. Lewis, and we did. So C.S. Lewis wrote a couple things on the topic. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It is what it, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. And again, I thought that was a really good point. I couldn't say it any better, so I put it up here. But it is interesting how pride, selfishness, again, those sins of I are really at the root and at the beginning of all of this and all other sin. The root of the other sins unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, you could bring that all back around to selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, again, kind of breaking down what that previous verse said. Where, again, every other vile practice is here, and he just kind of expands on that. And I think, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely right and very convicting. All right, one more C.S. Lewis quote. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since uh, since the world began. And when I thought of this, I actually did think like Noah said about pride and how like pride is a complete anti-God state of mind. And I know when C.S. Lewis wrote this, he had no idea of today's connotation that that would be, could be taken in. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it is very true that at the core of all of that is just this selfishness. And again, like as I wrote it up here, there's this uh, sin of I that I think we all just really have to wrestle with. Um, Alright, this is my last verse. Oh, yep. Sorry. To this one. Alright, here we are, our last verse. <laughs> Galatians 2.20 um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Um. This kind of brings me to this point that I'm going to make a challenge to you guys. And I have no idea how this is going to go. And again, keep in mind that this is something that I do not have figured out by any stretch of any imagination. And so this is a challenge I give to myself every single day. And I'm going to give to you guys as well. Um, But I just kind of think of it in my mind as the Galatians 2.20 challenge. And so in this, whenever I, I think of the sin of I... The thing that I note is that there is that word I in there. And when we relate that to Galatians 2.20, it says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the challenge that I have had for myself is that whenever I speak and I state the word I, I will ask myself a question. And that is, how can I be more like Christ? And so I may say just something very vague or out of context or whatever, like, you know, I need to go to work. But just that mention of the word I then causes me to stop and ask myself, how can I be more like Christ in this moment? And so that's my challenge that I'm kind of ending this with. Yes, we talked a lot about pride and selfishness. It's all in there. But I think like at the end of it, like this is, Christ is ultimately the cure for that. Nothing that we are going to do is going to cure that. Christ and the crucifixion is what is, and the blood of Jesus is is what is the cure for that. And so, asking ourselves now, like, how can we live more like Christ? And so, what I don't care what it is, I'm challenging you guys to ask yourself that question. Um, whether it be, you know, I need to go spend more time with my family. I need to go to work. I need to clean the house. I need to do yard work. I need. I mean, it could be any amount of things. But just thinking to yourself and stopping and asking that question, which is, how can I? be more like Christ and what I'm doing. Um, And I'm not saying that what we are currently doing is wrong either, but I do think in the big things and in the small things, there's always, 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 always room to be more like Christ in those things. And so um, that's something that's been really convicting to me is just thinking of that, asking myself that whenever I say the word I and I would challenge you guys to, to do that as well. And I think that the true impact of that and truly implementing how can I be more like Christ. Um, and again, like this could be something totally different as well because a lot of times when we make proud statements or selfish statements, those are going to have the word I in it as well. Um, and so again, it's stopping in those moments as well when there is pride and there is selfishness and saying, how can I be more like Christ in this? Whenever, again... Anytime and every time, I don't care what it is, that's my challenge to you guys is to stop and think when you say the word I. Ask yourself, how can I be more like Christ? And that's all I have. Um, I will pray for us really quick and then we will go our own ways. Um, dear Jesus, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity to be here and to speak. Um, again, I just trust and I'm faithful that the things that I said tonight just um, are of you and connected with somebody here uh, or someone who will listen to this. And I just pray that they will. There will be someone who's just drawn closer to you or to see you, whether it be through looking back in their lives and seeing your faithfulness in their lives, um, or whether that be here in the in the current of wrestling through stuff like sin and uh, pride and selfishness. And transforming our lives into being more like you in in any way and every way we can. The big things and the small things. I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for sending your son um, for us. In Jesus' name I pray.